Alright, gentlemen. They told us. They said we weren't good enough. But here we are. There is no one better for this sport than our family. And that's what we are. A family. Wow, he's really good at this. Yeah, I know, right? They might knock us down. They might spit on us. Hell, they might even beat us. But they will never take our spirit. Yeah! Now let's get out there and show those f***ing Soviets what we're made of. Wait, what? Oh, it's gone too far. Let's just do the show. The Smitty and Mitty Summit Series starts now. Smitty Mitty Show back again here for another week. Wow, did we go too far on the intro this week? No, it's hilarious. It's great. There's some whoever, weeks where you just think, though, we might have gone a little too no, far. Whoever wrote that did a really good job. Yeah. Shout out, voice guy, for producing it. I know you wrote it. I know you wrote it. Okay, I'll yeah. Let, shout out, out voice guy. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the Smitty and Mitty show for another week here. Uh, some great chats coming on later in the show. But first, Mitty, Christmas just around the corner. Are you done your shopping? I'm not. I did today. I got it done today. All of it. Uh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> one was Amazon, but... We kind of decided that since we're not doing much this Christmas, we're just, you know, one present each way and then a bunch for for the little one. So uh, I got most of it done. Uh, my fiance did not like what I bought our little girl. So uh, she's taking Told it back. Her? You got to keep that a surprise. She is taking it back and she is going to try again. But you are terrible. Yeah, whatever. Hey, you as know long what? as I don't have to go back. <laughs> as long as I don't have to return it, it, uh, it, it ends up working itself out. I still have so much, so much, so much shopping to get done. I was going to but message I mean, you today to see if you wanted to come to mall with me, and you just I just didn't. That's so. that's what friends are for. Exactly. The I, thought was there. The thought was there. I you thought just, if we went to the mall together, we would end up at the food court, and then we'd spend most of our money on food. That is usually how, how our shopping trips, trips go. go. Yeah. That Did that not happen, like, a few weeks ago? We yeah, just when ended we were up trying the to set court. up the studio, we ended up at the food court. And the next thing you know, we were in Chinese food. We actually got nothing else. <laughs> we, got, we got blankets. We got, nothing <laughs> except, we got nothing except for just Chinese food, which to me is a successful Day at the mall. Uh, anyways, coming up on the show today, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the sports going on in the world, but we had a pretty long interview and a pretty exciting interview as well as we got to talk to a former Olympian midi. Miss Larissa Yerku. Uh, she's our first female on the show, something that we've been trying to stride towards. And uh, she's also our first Olympian. She's our first skier. She's, she's our first a lot of things. And, you know, at the end of the conversation, we sat and we looked at each other, you know, we talked about skiing and we talked about her crash which she came back from she, we talked about getting cut from the olympic team and having to fund her way back to the olympics and then we joked around with the russians a little bit for the olympics she did get to but yeah she uh she was our uh our one of our best interviews i think and i hope the uh the people agree yeah it was honestly first of all great to talk to her and great to talk olympic it's something we haven't talked about I don't think really at all on the show so far. Um, but you know what? We kind of got to see a little bit of a different view on the Olympics as well. Someone who really had to work hard and, and work individually to get into the Olympics. It's, it's a great story. It's kind of weird. The Olympics only come around once every four years, right? So that's the only time you get to talk about it. But these athletes are training and trying to make the Olympics and raise funding. And there's a lot that goes in between those four years just to get to the Olympics for them. So that uh, that was kind of interesting for, for me to talk to her about. Yeah, so hopefully you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as me and Mitty did. So without further ado, we're going to welcome on former Olympian ski racer, Miss Larissa Yerkew. Thank you for having me. 
I, uh, I'm actually flattered because um, I'm sure hockey is a lot of the theme and I, I feel like you have to have a skier on. Well, also on a, on a weird side note, you're also our, our first uh, woman that we've had on the show too. So there you go. Extra flatter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, We try to work in and and get in everywhere we can, but uh, skiing is an interesting one for us. And uh, I wanted to kind of start off the interview by asking you, uh, it's not really a weird question, but if you had to take a guess between me and Mitty, how many times we've been skiing combined in our lives, what would you guess? (laughs) I'm going to say four. We're close. I think it's twice. You well, said you've I've never been skiing. I've never been skiing. I've been on the slopes twice in my life, and it was <laughs> so terrifying. It was terrifying. Not a weird question. I think there's a lot of people who don't bother, and I don't. I stand behind that. <laughs> well, it was weird. Like I grew up in Owen Sound, and I was only what 40 minutes away from blue mountain and all my friends where I was going, I'm like, no, no, that just seems like it's going to add, it's going to end poorly. I'm going to, I'm definitely going to end <laughs> up on my butt. For me, I've, I'm like ridden with injuries. I, I, <laughs> I stand behind why you didn't do the 40 minute drive and do that. I, I have made it to the, uh, to the village a couple of times though. What about, <laughs> are you a summer village or a winter village? Oh, oh, probably a little bit of both, but I'm a midweeker. I don't, I try to avoid the, the weekend crowds, I guess. Yeah, That's why I go with the summer because yeah. there's not a lot of people there. You know, I can just sit there and enjoy my drink. It's a lot easier that's to drink right. in the summer. <laughs> that's right. So Larissa, how did you get into, well, first of all, get into skiing and then kind of get into the specialties like uh, downhill and super G. Yeah, it's a good, well, given that you guys are both on sound eights, um, I would jump on the Greyhound. My parents bought me a bus book of tickets and the Georgian Peaks Club is the club I grew up at. So we were right on highway 26. I could jump out, pull the thing. I think I was the only one on the bus most of the mornings that I went over and then um, we joined that club shortly before that, but um, it just it just allowed for me to continue progressing and doing as much training as it required. But I think earlier than that, it was more just about um, doing something that was kind of risky and a bit of daredevil side of it. My I have two older brothers, and they always tried to leave me in the dust. And so I think I think it, part of it was just experiencing something that was. Um, a bit rebellious, choose your own adventure style sport. And um, I was born with these pistons for thighs. So I think I was able to apply <laughs> myself pretty soon. <laughs> so did the rest of your family ski as well? Then you mentioned kind of the competitiveness there. Everyone yeah, well, else skied? My dad, yeah, my dad learned when I did, I think, basically, my mom grew up skiing a little bit. But no, it wasn't like um, I have already a famous last name or something and I have to follow in their footsteps. Thank God, because that would have been terrible. I think I don't know how athletes do that um, and try to carry the throne, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, no, I honestly think it was a bit of a social thing. I, I probably avoided some things that I shouldn't be doing anyway in Owen Sound on weekends and was able to make excuses I think with sport you know at a, at a time when it's socially hard to say I don't want to do that or I don't want to go there I could say oh, sorry guys I have to go skiing and uh, so it was an easy way out sometimes and then it was also really empowering I mean I was introverted by nature still am but that was a way to express myself and apply myself and achieve and and then start seeing this, the whole world and like travel and that that sort of thing came later so that, start, that started to be a little more natural fit 
I didn't, it's not like I was born and raised wanting to be an Olympian or anything like that. It, it was an acquired taste. It's really unfortunate for your dad if you guys start at the same time, because <laughs> I think I think he might have blown him out of the water on that one, no matter what he did. Poor guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's get into your actual professional career a little bit. First, how do you make that movement from like just skiing on the weekends and being, you know, just a, a leisure skier to like, now I'm going to do it. I'm going to time it. I'm going to actually make that competitive jump. Well, yeah, it's a good question. Cause I think in some places like Whistler, for example, you could be a ca- kind of casual recreational skier skier and enjoy the sport for the rest of your life as is. But with the way that Collingwood private clubs are set up, there's not much else to do. So the kids start racing pretty early and they might fall out of it if they're not really competitive by nature. I guess I am, <laughs> but um, then it was starting to become kind of a, how do I put this? Like, should I get off the pot? <laughs> you might have to change that <laughs> But at the end of high school, I applied to a bunch of universities and also made the national ski team. And I thought, it should be a no brainer, but I thought, how, how far can I actually go with this? Like, what is the national ski team? Uh, it sounds cool, but what about school? And I thought I'd defer for one year, which is what I did. I sent in all my deferrals and then uh, that was whatever, 20, 15 years ago. So um, I managed to do a little bit of school on the side, but for the most part, it just became more and more professional, more and more sacrifices, more and more money um, investment, and injuries and rehab and all of that came and all of that tied into creating what you're calling a professional career, but it wasn't overnight by any stretch. And each year I had to reassess what it was worth to me. You know, what are my goals? What am I willing to do to achieve them? And um, I think everyone did that, but maybe not. I just think that it was always worth understanding fully and being super clear about why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, it's it's amazing to kind of see everyone that we've kind of talked to has a different story about how they got there and everyone has a different way in which they got there. But they always talk about how amazing it was when they kind of first realized that, hey, I'm pretty good at this. For you making the national team, what was that feeling like? And did you kind of just sit back for a second and go, wow, like this is a pretty big deal? Yeah, completely. It was right out of high school. So you think about who we were when we were just out of high school. Like, I mean, I didn't know anything. Well, Noah's pretty close now. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a few years. I, uh, we had just won the bid for the Vancouver games. So everyone was talking about winter sports more than they ever had been prior or after. And I, um, I also made the team at a time when there was a, there were a whole bunch of women on the team already who were about 10 years older than me and just powerhouses. So professional super risky, like calculated risk, but really dialed in about going super fast on skis. And uh, so it was in that sense, it was just a total uh, carrot in front of my nose to have made the team, you know, get the jacket, but then realize I have a whole bunch of work ahead of me. And it really was the start of the grind rather than, oh, here's the jacket. And now you can just chill and be on the national ski team and try to represent your country. So yeah, like it was a really exciting time to have made the team in the momentum towards being hosting games in our country. Most patriotic thing an athlete can do. Um, I didn't quite make it, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a really amazing time. So let's kind of, let's start there. You mentioned the, uh, 
I thought we were just going to roll over that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, it, it would uh, not be not how it works here. It would be a disservice <laughs> to our uh, to our listeners not to to bring up probably the most unfortunate thing that's ever happened to anyone. I think you. <laughs> I have like, I have a list here of all the things that, that all the injuries that you sustained in one second, because it was, it was so like, just amazing. In 2009, you, you obviously crash and you, uh, you ended up tearing your ACL, MCL, um, other tendons, like just uh, a crash where people were like, it was being said around that you could never come back from that. So how, how does that happen? And then all of a sudden, like how, what what goes through your mind like okay well i'm not done here i am going to come back because it's got to be a gruesome it's got to be a long a long road in front of you yeah it was a long flight home that's for sure um and i read that in the newspaper too this is a career ending injury and i thought whoa <laughs> this is this is fate you know black and white in the newspaper fred wallace called he's like is this is this it i'm like fred <laughs> but uh it was, yeah, it was the biggest change in trajectory I'd ever had. I didn't know. I don't think I fully understood it when it happened. I knew it really hurt, but besides the pain, I mean, everyone experiences pain in their lives and I didn't really understand the ramification or the, or the, like I said, change in trajectory that I would experience for the next few years or my lifetime. And then that started setting in when I started to have surgeries to repair everything. And um, over the next two years, I learned a lot about more pain and, uh, and what this was all worth to me. You know, I, I don't think that I, I read books and people would drop off bios of Agassiz and all that. And some of them were good. Some of them were just brutal. Cause I thought these athletes had these same kind of big injuries right before a big event. And they were, they were sure the next morning they woke up, they were sure that they were going to get back to what they were doing. I'm like, what? Like, I can't even walk. I can't swim. I can't bathe myself. Like this is, this is not the book for me. <laughs> and so it was really important. I think early on, my parents are both chiropractors, which I think really helped because they had a good sense of the health I had or didn't have and progress and setting small goals and, you know, small victories, like, okay, let's go to the pool today. Oh my gosh, that's a huge goal. So, um, things like that helped to just keep everything in check and, the smaller the goal, the more you're achieving, you know, and keep momentum going that way. But yeah, it was, it was a long haul back. Uh, it was really, really worth it. It made me question and redefine what this was all about for me and changed the way I feel about, you know, my purpose being an athlete. It's way bigger than you. It's not just about your little dinky two minute race. I mean, dinky's maybe not the right word, but it's about all the things that happen after and all the conversations you have about it and all the kids that think that they can, you know, strive themselves in whatever path they're on. So it, it was pretty magical. Like, I don't mean to get too mushy, but it, it was really, um, it was a really nice cycle of inspiration where people would write to me, like, keep going. And then I think, okay, I can, for you, I can, you know? So that it became about something totally different than just Alpine ski racing. And unfortunately for you that it happened, like you said, right before the 2010 Olympics and like in, in your own country. And when was it that you like, kind of, it sunk in that you were going to have to miss the Vancouver Olympics. Was it right away? Was it like when you were sitting on the plane coming home? Yeah. Around then, I think I still had this naive opinion that I'm superhuman healer and I can get this done and dad will treat me and we'll go. 
Um, and then the surgeon, he sat us down, my dad and I like both of you need to sit down <laughs> and he's like, uh, you know, she's not, she might be more feeling more like herself in two years time. Um, but like, you can't be planning anything at all at this point. So I think when you say two, uh, the games were two months away or not even. Um, and so that just kind of checked everything in a, in a moment. Um, and I didn't think that hard about the next games, which were four and a bit years from that point. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a long realization. I think every time I had uh, an assessment with a professional or a surgery, it was a bigger realization that, okay, this is the new reality. This is the new reality. And that's where you just have to keep setting these tiny goals. So you can achieve, keep achieving. Yeah. It's great that you were able to kind of, well, after realizing it, slowly work your way back. But how was it to get back on the hill for the first time? Obviously not a quick process to get back out there, but was there just like a smile across your face when you were finally able to get back out onto the hill? Yeah, it's a good point. I, I think as soon as I learned, I could at least just slide around, um, maybe similar to your two times on the hill. <laughs> just kidding. Um, wow. I've never been on the hill, so I can't. <laughs> I've, I played, I did play Mario. Like you remember the Mario Olympics game? I did. I skied on that. So <laughs> that's so hard though. That's not the same. It's, well, it's two sticks and you're trying to, like, it really hurts the wrist. It's a lot of wrist workout. Actually, what am I saying? It's the exact same thing. Yeah, I, I think, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, no coming. I think just knowing I could actually ski um, what in whatever capacity and ski with my kids one day and all of that. Well, that was like, you know, a deep, deep sense of joy that everything would be fine. Um, and, and then I think quickly, maybe within, you know, two or three weeks, I thought I might, I might want to go really fast again. <laughs> and then, um, that's still a long process. Even when you mentally commit to wanting to, you know, brave the mountains again, for lack of better words, it, it, it's still a long, long process. And I was scared, you know, it's one thing to do something where, you're scared maybe two or three moments in an hour. That's, that's one level of being scared. But when you're scared, the, you know, leading up during after, and you know, you're fearing for your life, that that's a different level. And so that progression back to actually being, I want to say world-class was longer than I expected and longer than I gave myself time for. I didn't, I didn't give myself a long enough progression there and I didn't respect why it was necessary. Um, but that's because I can be objective now in retirement. <laughs> that was kind of, it was actually a question I had down here is that, you know, when you did make it back, it's the actual run is so quick. Did you have time to actually think about, you know, what did happen to those thoughts come back into your mind or was it, you know, I'm doing this thing. I got to focus on what I'm doing. You don't even think about it. Do you like, you mean for when I was thinking, rethinking about the injury and that kind of thing? Or? Exactly. The first time you're on the hill, did that, did the injury kind of, and, and yeah, did, did it haunt you a little bit? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, you think about the moment, you think about the way it happened and if there's similar conditions, will that happen again? Um, and I, that's where the progression really comes in. And I think not trying to be, um, maybe a winner that day and the, the, the achievement and the success being just that you're, I don't want to say participating cause it's still super fast, but um, 
you know, just try just what's the goal today is the goal to just make it through the finish line. Okay. So like, let's ease up a little bit. Let's not have our fastest skis out today. And, and actually returning to where I crashed was, um, just that it was all about just being there, staying in the same hotel, you know, walking through the same cafes and then going to the actual race. And, um, something my coach did really well was talk really, um, seriously and focus really hard on the on the turn after the turn. So this famous turn that was imprinted in my mind, we focused a lot on the course and the track afterwards so that the emphasis was almost removed from where it was so challenging and had obviously changed my life. Um, and that helped a lot. It's like a horse with blinders on, you know, you just kind of focus on a task at hand rather than, oh my God, this is an animal and this changed my life. Do, do I really want to do this all over again? So. I think it was that carrot in front of your nose, like task at hand thinking that basically got me through the next few years, actually. So after the injury and, and all this rehab, all this time getting back onto the hill, you were finally able to make it back to that world-class skiing that you were kind of used to. It was a different story, though, for you getting to the Olympics in 2014. You kind of took a little bit of a different path to get there. Tell us about that and kind of how that came to be. Well, in the comeback, so I made my way back and did similar races, but not at the same level. Like I said, I was super scared. I wasn't performing well and uh, it showed and the team noticed and they were thinking more about Sochi at that point, which was 2014 and uh, made this kind of business decision to cut the program that I needed to base the vehicle I needed to get to the games. And I was the only one really directly affected or one, there was one other athlete and I thought, I don't know if I'm done yet. Like, I don't, I don't know if this is, this is it for me. So I thought hard about how I could put something together and still wear the Canadian flag. And that's exactly what happened. I kind of, I called it team Larissa because it was only me. And I hired back the coach who was fired in the collapse of that program. So we both kind of had this beautiful chip on our shoulders and we, well, it was a long haul. Like there are so many details that went into managing um, being all those levels of management, like being the athlete, you know, booking all the flights and booking the hotels and then raising the money, finding the sponsors. And I think um, in a nutshell, changing the program towards the self, like from the selfish life of an athlete, which it has to be. And it is, you know, you just keep taking from everyone around you and you create this team and you achieve that's your job. But for me, I think it fit my personality to shift this towards um, okay, now I have this big pie of responsibilities. One of them is to be an athlete and train really hard, but another is to manage the team's finances and another is to find new sponsors and another is to, you know, book flights or whatever. I mean, I'm taking a lot of credit off my coach. He did so much work and um, we did it together, but it made skiing actually so much more relieving because in that moment, I, all I had to do was execute. Like I just had to execute the plan put my goggles on, do up my boots and like, enjoy the ride almost. And it's, you know, normally you sweat about those two minutes for the rest of the 24 hours of the day. Now, all of a sudden I was very busy with other things and um, I did a lot of debriefing, but it just changed the pressure around to um, all the things I had to accomplish and team Larissa, so to speak, went on for three years. I did okay at the Sochi games. I ended up going, um, 
which was a huge achievement in itself. But then the next three years were my best by far, you know, with podiums and all of that. And I, I, do, I don't think I could have achieved that in the old structure where everything was always going to be okay. And I would always be on the team, you know, whether I had results or not, so to speak. We'll get to the podiums. We'll get there, but I want to go back to the Sochi Olympics. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. I ruined the punchline. <laughs> I wanted to go back to the Sochi Olympics. You're standing at the Olympics. You're you're about to take your first run. What does what are the emotions that are going through that you you're there after everything you've gone through for the past four years and two months? Yeah. Well, I did. I want to say the the dreamy thing to say is that I was just ready to win an Olympic medal. Um, I think I I know I believe that miracles could happen. I also had had this weird. Um, I don't want to say injury, but some something happened at the race prior to Sochi. I mean, what's an Olympic ride without one last setback? And I was kind of 10 days bedridden, to be totally honest, before flying to Sochi. And my coach and I decided we'd play one tennis match before going up there, just make sure I was still an athlete. <laughs> and um, so we got there, I did my some training runs. And then for the actual race, I just kind of sat down with him in the lodge and he didn't ask me too much because he knew this was going to be tough. Um, we all deal with injuries our whole athletic careers, all of us. Um, but this one, I felt genuinely, I think, scared. And I thought if I can just go through the finish line, um, again, miracles can happen. They always do. But um, in that situation, I felt like I, I'd already achieved a gold medal for arriving there in the journey I'd had. And um I just, I did my race. I was safe, but I wasn't fast. I would think I was 20th. And um, I just saw my parents cried like a baby and collapsed in their arms. And I thought, I just, I did it, you know? And it wasn't about, honestly, it wasn't about the medal. It was about the journey. And I couldn't have said that before, um, but I believe that fully now. Hey, 20th is nothing to, to joke about because like, <laughs> There is not one thing in this world that I would finish top a million in in the world. Not one thing. Top a million. <laughs> no, not even close. I wouldn't make top a billion. I don't think in anything. I think there was twenty people on the hill when I was skiing, and I still finished twenty first. <laughs> like I don't know how it happened. A squirrel got there. Like someone went down and then came back up and then went down again before I made it to the bottom. It was just. But it's amazing. So top 31 for the 20 skiers that were out that day. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take my 31st place you, medal. You bought yourself a burger and you moved on <laughs> up to the ski lodge. Well, that's half uh, of the day. Oh, it is. It is amazing. Uh, I wanted to kind of ask you on the Olympics thing before we kind of move on here, what it was like to take part at the opening ceremonies because it's something. <laughs> that we all get to watch and, and it just looks amazing, but how is it being there? Is, is it hectic? <laughs> well, you guys are going to laugh because it's sorry. It gets worse. So I, once I arrived at the Olympics and I did this run that we just explained, I actually sprained my ankle in my boot, which is really hard to do. Um, <laughs> they should have just put you in a wheelchair <laughs> and just oh not let you even walk. Was, it was embarrassing. <laughs> and um, I sprained my ankle in a ski boot, which is, you know, it's not very easy to do because they're very rigid anyway. And it hurt like hell. And I was in my room and, and this was, so the way that my event worked was it was so early in the games that, um, I'd actually done some training runs prior to the opening ceremonies. Um, 
and then we and then we have the opening ceremonies and then we race and everyone sees that part on TV. But the the day of was when I when of the opening ceremonies was when I sprained a stupid ankle. And I remember FaceTiming my mom and she's like, what'd you get in your Olympic kit? Like all this free stuff. And I was like, mom, there are more serious. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't just pass that. What the hell did you get in your Olympic kit? I want to know what's in your Olympic kit. (laughs) I am like true to mom. We're just waiting for all the freebies. And she's like, "Uh, didn't you get some Adidas boots? Like, didn't you get some big bulky boots in there? I'm like, yeah, they're not on the list of what we're supposed to wear for an opening ceremonies. Anyway, she's like, screw it just put them on lace them up tight they had that like cinch thing on them and uh, put your pants over top of them and and uh go to the freaking opening ceremonies like are you kidding because I was weighing I had my feet up on the wall I was draining the swelling out of this stupid ankle and I was just so bummed I thought after everything I'm not going because I'm trying to save myself a race and it was just like this battle going on between myself and my ankle and my heart too and my mom's like you gotta go you just gotta go and I and I so I can tell you that I went and I cried my eyes out just because it was the most magical um it was the biggest thing I'd ever done in all sense of the word the you know you walk around this huge stadium stadium and Russia did everything to the nines they honestly pulled off an amazing games um the security was tight there were snipers all over our ski hills and everything but um, it was unreal. And I just sat there and I remember one of my teammates looking over, he's like, are you okay? And I just took it all in. It was everything that you think it could be. Um, And I wasn't able to stay for the closing. So I'm just so glad that I went to those. I'll never forget it. When you started, (laughs) when you started that story, I thought you were going to tell us you didn't even go. Yeah. And I was, I was going to be really upset with you. We can call Linda after and say, thank you so much for making me go. It looks so like, it it just looks so long. Like even when I'm sitting here watching, it's like the first country comes out, like whatever it is, a something and they walk out and then it's just like an hour and 56 minutes later, the last country comes out. Zimbabwe follows up. It's just, it seems so long. It is long. It's long for like you think about how an athlete preps for their event. It's not doing that, like standing, walking, brand new equipment, brand new shoes. Like it was just, yeah, it was bizarre that way, but much needed. And waving to all the Russians, like they really want to see a skier from Canada. <laughs> like that's why they came. Not fair. They did. They cheered hard. <laughs> okay. The uh, I do remember at the with the Sochi Olympics though, because there was so much nostalgia coming from the 2010 Olympics that I watched. I think every minute of every telecast for the Sochi Games, and they talked a lot about the Olympic Village and like the and uh, what state it was in. And there was a lot of bad news coming out of it. And since I have an Olympian here, I want to ask you about the village. Yeah, no, you're. Yeah, I haven't thought about that in a long time. But like the the room with five toilets in it or something. And, and there was rats everywhere and bugs. And- yeah, no, I never saw that room. But um, I do know that when I arrived, we had our our. our <laughs> Sorry, village- <laughs> never, I, I didn't hear about a room with five toilets. <laughs> Oh, I just saw photos and I thought like, where's the privacy here? But um, you're like, I need that room. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, when I arrived, I was alone. It was really bizarre. I took like a Greyhound bus style bus to the village. Only person on it. We could have left the airport and gone the wrong direction. And I could have gone to some other village completely. I wouldn't have known. That was weird. Um, But there was another... um, 
when I arrived, the shower stall, like it was like a shower kit from Home Depot. That's what it looked like. And it would it was in place and there was a mirror and a light and all of that. Um, but after the first shower, I realized that there was actually no plumbing. Like there was actually no hookup. So the entire shower was then completely on the bathroom floor. And um, I called whatever the front desk was and three guys came, didn't speak a lick of English. And I think they fixed it. But uh, it was it was as if it was, I think that was the majority of the problems. Like we're not ready to host the world here. We didn't even get the shower hooked up to the actual plumbing. <laughs> this is shower in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like a shower. But that's not like no, you don't use shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but other than that, they honestly did. They were everyone was really really kind and inviting and really pumped to host the game. So. And honestly, the security it was what you would expect Russian security to be. We had chips in our uh, accreditation, so they knew where everyone was at all times. And they had cameras and uh, mirrors under all the perimeters of the buses, dogs everywhere. Like, it was, it was good in that sense. So they can chip you, but they mm-hmm. can't have your shower drain. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it just sums up the 2014 Priorities. Olympics. Yeah. And somebody put the fifth toilet in a room and went, guys, I think this is too many. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get those showers to drain? Oh, no, it's too busy chipping all the jackets. Yeah, successfully five people are in that washroom using all five toilets. Wow. <laughs> that would be an awkward... That's an awkward bathroom. <laughs> before, we, uh, before we let you go, Larissa, I just kind of wanted to ask you... Uh, about ski- uh, skiing obviously you kind of specialized in what you did but is there one I guess discipline of skiing that you wanted to get to try like did you ever think about going off one of those huge jumps or maybe doing some tricks like is <laughs> Not that, something- that hard I mean we had we had jumps that were huge but um the aerials and things like that like that just to me makes me cringe but I'm sure they feel that way about our sport too um I don't think so. I think that um, for speed skiers, which is the downhill and super G events, we were very different people than the slalom and GS giant slalom skiers, which sounds like it's all the same thing, but the fast twitch versus the slow twitch and the fast talkers and fast walkers versus the slow walkers, and slow talkers. It was just a very like night and day personality difference. Um, so I guess you just end up kind of where is most natural. I don't think I could ever pull off any moguls or anything like that. And just, I think my knees would just explode thinking about it. Do you think Mitty's more of a go off the jumps kind of guy or go really? I can't do the acrobats on the ground. So I might as well do it in the air. <laughs> so just launch off. Of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got to come down eventually. <laughs> so hopefully I hit my leg or hit my feet. All right. Last one. Yeah. Last question before we let you go. Um, I promised we'd get to all your success. You had an amazing amount of success leading up to retiring in 2016. I think at one point you were third, third in the world, I believe. Yeah, that's when I stopped. Yeah, well, why? Why would you? Why did you decide to stop while you were on top of the world? Well, third top in the world. Yeah, third top. Um, third top. <laughs> no one's called it that before. Um, I think because I knew exactly how to define the motivation and somewhat desperation to succeed prior to that. I knew what it would mean to me, what it would mean to my family and friends and town and coach and all of that. And 
once I arrived there, well, I podiumed, I think four times. And like you said, I, I retired at third, ranked third in the world. It was, it was, it was that point that I realized, I think I've done that now. I think I've arrived to that place where I, I achieved what I wanted to achieve. And I'm not entirely sure what will send me down those same racetracks again. And if you don't know, it's really dangerous. You know, there, there was this point where I just thought I've been able to calculate the risk till now. And, um, you know, I, it was getting so professional, like the structure itself, the sponsorships, the, the part, yeah, everything about the, the business was getting so tight and fun and lucrative and all of that. But I knew that this was going to become instantly dangerous, too dangerous to justify if I can't figure out what it is that's going to make me choose, you know, the winning line versus the more conservative, I'd like to save my knees line. And it really came down to that because you're the only one, you know, as, as team oriented as it is, um, you're the only one sending it. And uh, I just wasn't clear on that anymore. And I thought this is going to hurt a lot. It's going to be a huge hole and withdrawal in my life, but it's going to hurt no matter when. And I think the time is now. So it was confusing to a lot of people and it hurt. It's, I still think hard about all of that and I miss a lot of it, but it just was the right time. Yeah, I can certainly imagine people being confused, but if, if that's how you're feeling, then I mean, people, they always say they know when it's time to, to you know, in this case, hang up the skis and, and, and move on, but it, it had to have been a tough decision. Uh, we thank you for joining us today. It really has been a pleasure to talk to you and uh, hopefully we can maybe convince you to come out to blue and we can get Mitty on some skis. Yeah, that sounds yeah. fun. Aerials. Yes. Okay, I'll do the skis. I'm not getting off the ground. My feet stay firmly on the ground. <laughs> Thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. Hey fans, this is Voice Guy. Smitty and Mitty wanted me to let you know that you can have your ads pop up for their listeners. You have a brand, a beautiful, prospering brand, but you want to get the reach out there and have these fine listeners drink your Kool-Aid. You even have me, the voice guy, who can voice out your ads. If you want this done, please email show at gmail.com. That's smittymittyshow at gmail.com. Now back to the Smitty and Mitty Show. Welcome back to the Smitty Mitty Show. After a fantastic talk there with former Olympian Larissa Yerkew. Mitty, a great talk there. It's her first time getting to talk to someone who has been to the Olympic Games and someone who's got to experience that and, and to hear it from Larissa about how magical it was in the opening ceremonies. And then, of course, bang on the Russians a little bit. <laughs> bang on the Russians. I I hope you get <laughs> I hope you use the cuts like for, for video here to look at my face when she said the five toilet thing because it was just like I, I i went blank i was like what did she just it say took, it took you like 20 seconds to figure it out and uh, you can <laughs> see your brain just kind of spinning you're like whoa 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 did you say five <laughs> toilets <was> so absurd <laughs> I was like after two toilets i think it's too much in a room <laughs> how do you get to five it's like uh, okay just keep adding Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, five, yeah. Are you sure that the plans say five toilets? <laughs> <laughs> There's five people in the room, so we need five <laughs> toilets. Uh, just crazy. The Russian Olympics. You heard about all the stories there, but to get 
justification about them, it's a whole other thing. How do you not like? How do you just put a shower in and be like, yeah, it's just, it's a big tub. <laughs> forgot to forgot to put the drain in. <laughs> That's why we put the cup here. You're supposed to scoop You're the water and scoop throw it out, throw it out the window. <laughs> Let's move on now and talk about uh, the NHL recently said that they're almost certainly going to be going with an all-Canadian division for this upcoming year, Mitty. Does this add excitement for every single Canadian hockey fan for this upcoming year? I don't think they're going to change it. You think it's going to change after? I think it's a one-year thing. It's a one-year thing. There's so many rivalries within Canada when you look at you know the Battle of Ontario, the Battle of Alberta, like the Battle of Ar- Al- the Battle of Alberta gets just so crazy when they only play like two or three times a, a year. Can you imagine when they play eight times? But is that going to make it less special? Right, like is that is playing them so many times going to make it so that oh yeah they were playing Alberta again? But like when are your when are the biggest rivalries made? playoffs in the playoffs how many times do you play in the playoffs does a four-game series really make a rivalry no not really toronto yeah. and boston are now rivals because they play seven game series every year and boston beats toronto every year that's why the rivalries come from like you need to have that i keep getting pounded into the wall by this guy i hate him now so do you think that the nhl obviously this is coming out of necessity that they have to do this for you know the border restrictions the NHL is going to go with it this year. Do you think that kind of changes their mindset in the future? It's obviously going to depend on the success of this division. The only negative I see to keep it is the fact that now you're only going to have two, maybe three Canadian teams make playoffs, where you could have four or five Canadian teams in the playoffs. But I, I just with how much they're really going to bring in in revenue with if they had people in the building and these. Just I keep going back to these. The whole playoff switch around was to create rivalries, and that's this is going to create a rivalry. Like a New York team playing a New York team, that's going to create a rivalry. Is this NHL Canadian division? Uh, it's a little bit too early to tell. Is this going to be a good division? Like compared to these U.S. divisions, obviously they're going west, east, and then central in the states, and then the Canadian division. Who's got the upper edge here? Is it too early to tell? I mean, if I was to put what I think the division's probably going to look like, you're probably going to go with, uh, I, I'm saying you're probably going to go with Toronto, then Vancouver, then Calgary, then Winnipeg. Careful what you say here. Montreal, Ottawa. <sighs> How'd I know that was coming? Well, come on, it's Ottawa. I, I mean, do you really good. think they're going to come out of the basement this year? Uh, probably not. With what? Like, can be what, what really made them better? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean, the Some Leafs, young are, talent. The Leafs are the one years. that came in and really stacked up. So I think the battle... Between, you know, the Vancouver, Calgary, and Toronto of the division. Well, I, I really see this division just being a standard division. But you know what division really does suck? What? NFC East. How about we go talk some football? You're a gambler. A degenerate like us. How much you want to bet? I will bet you one dollar. Don't let people tell you who the underdog is. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. Even when you run out of money. I declare bankruptcy! We help you put your money where your mouth is. Balake, where is Balake at? This is Make or Blake with our insider, Blake Rubin. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another week here of Make or Blake, and we are joined by our uh, football expert, Blake Rubin. Blake, 
First of all, how are you doing? Are you excited for Christmas? Uh, I am excited for Christmas. I'm not excited for my bank account because I have like four different stockings to fill up. So hopefully some uh, bets in the future can definitely help me out with those expenses. The key to the stocking is just fill it with dollar store, dollar store, dollar store, dollar store. But you guys are kind of screwed though because you're in the you're in lockdown right now. So like, do you have your shopping done? Do you just Amazon it all out? It's it's a lot of Amazon right now. When you come from a family of uh, two pretty bougie sisters, when they make the uh, spending limit higher than you expected, it's it's a little bit more daunting. I, I don't bull. like looking for a for a thirty dollar wireless or wireless headphones under thirty dollars on Amazon. You don't find much. That really is unfair. That really is. You know, should, some, someone should write to someone about that because that's just unacceptable. But uh, make sure you add on. There should be two other stockings that you need to be filling for Christmas because me and Mitty are expecting. Yeah, like I take only chocolate. Oh, only oh, chocolate. Okay, more more money out of my wallet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hope you guys like Reese's wafers. If I can still find those. Oh, I love Reese's. I love wafers. the. Yeah, I was gonna say fill up the stocking. <laughs> All right, let's get off food. We do we do food a lot. Um. So this whole NFL season with the extra playoff, uh, with the extra playoff team, it's create just an, just an S show right in the middle of this, of like the whole battle. Are there any teams in there that like kind of break down these teams for me? So with the NFC, the only two teams that I can really see in the bubble right now are at least contending for that final seventh seed are Arizona and Chicago. Um, I don't think Chicago really at five and seven has much of a chance of getting in, even though it's it's a one game race between them and Minnesota in terms of who, aside from Green Bay, is going to make it in the NFC North. But it's pretty baffling to see a team as talented as the Arizona Cardinals and the eight seed right now. They're one spot below playoff contention. And I really think they have a better shot over Minnesota of actually making the playoffs and let alone potentially getting a win over some over a team like green bay this is one of the more talented rosters in the nfl if we can be honest here i just think because the schedule has been so tough and they're in the arguably the best division in the nfl with the nfc west that it hasn't been as easy for them but you know what this is still a very talented roster and you know we've seen in the regular season it doesn't matter if there's two seconds left on the clock they can show up in those very clutch moments uh, you know, the Bills know more than anyone about it with that Hail Mary to um, DeAndre Hopkins. So that's a team I really would like to see in the playoffs. And I think they'll leap over Minnesota. With the uh, NFC, it's more of a talented race, I think. You know, the Colts right now have that seventh seed. Vegas is right under them. And then you have the Ravens, who have been, even though injury plagued, are still sitting at seven and five. Really, any of those three teams, I think, could potentially lock down that final playoff spot the only issue is that whoever gets that you're either going to kansas city to play the chiefs who we can all agree are probably favorites to repeat in the super bowl or you're going to heinz field to play pittsburgh who is probably the best overall defense in the nfl and with that though i i think the colts have the best shot at actually making any sort of a playoff run between them Las Vegas and Baltimore only because Phillip Rivers definitely has the most playoff experience out of any of those QBs. Uh, the defense is phenomenal. T.Y. Hilton, he hasn't really been producing a lot in the red zone this season. That could change come playoffs. So I, I think 
Indianapolis and Arizona really are the two teams that I'd say are favorites to take, hang on to that final seven seed. And, you know, I kind of like this whole extra, uh, extra team coming in for playoff format. I, I like how really only one team is able to earn the buy in the playoffs. I think it makes it all the more compelling because now with week 17, you can't really rest your starters unless you're leaps and bounds ahead in the standings, which as we see for both conferences, that's not the case for either green Bay and new Orleans still got to fight it out for that number one seed. And then Kansas city and Pittsburgh they're tied right now. So it makes it all the more interesting to see who will get the buy there. Yeah. If there's one thing we noticed uh, like with all these different leagues, they're adding playoff spots and then they just realize, Hey, this is money. Like the NBA leaves in their extra playoff spots. And I don't see the NFL get rid of it because like you said, it just, it keeps all these teams competing right to the bitter end. And if there is anything about, and like the uh, the Peyton Manning Super Bowl champion Broncos that we've we've that we come to understand is that defense can win you championships, and that's why I think the, out of all the teams that you mentioned, I think the Colts are probably one of my favorites to make that playoffs. And I think a Colts and Pittsburgh game would be the lowest scoring and most boring game that could ever be played in the playoffs. So let's look forward to that. How about a uh, you mentioned a prop? You mentioned a prop bet this week. So, you know, coming down to the end of the season, I think it's safe to say Pat Mahomes is going to win MVP. But then you look at what Aaron Rodgers has done, and it's pretty much been so apropos his entire career. Has great stats. He's getting his – the Packers would not be a two-seed without him, and yet he gets completely overlooked. I think he should be considered one of the closer cases for MVP, and that's mainly because of just how red-hot he's been over the last seven games, 20 passes completed. I say week 15 against the Panthers, put down some money on him once again going over that limit. I want to say take the over on at least 25 passes just because it's been such a red-hot season. And this has really been more of a prove-it season for a vet after the Packers drafted Jordan Love in the first round, which no one really got. So I think that that's the key prop bet to make this week. Aaron Rodgers, over 25 passes completed against the Panthers. Anything to stay away from uh, this upcoming week, Blake? So we're going to go with uh, another strong NFC quarterback who should be making his return week 15. Uh, Drew Brees coming back potentially to play the Chiefs. If this is happening, if Drew Brees is listed as active against Kansas City, keep him under 250 passing yards in this one. Uh, The Chiefs' run defense is definitely their biggest weakness, and the Saints have have had the best run game over the past month. So I think they're going to sort of stick with that game plan. And also, this is an aging quarterback who's coming off a big injury. You don't want to push it too early. We know Brees loves to sling it just like, you know, Pat Mahomes does. But I don't see why you'd really want to risk it, let alone with playoffs so close. I'm not saying don't start him because there's still, you know, a, a one seed that you're fighting for with the Packers. But definitely don't think he's going to just like over rely on his throwing arm. You just you mentioned the the Rodgers and you know Green Bay going out and drafting a quarterback and everyone made a huge stink about that. And I think all you have to do is go back and look at the Patriots of this year where you know they lose their star quarterback and all of a sudden they're in the dumps. They have there's there's no bright light at the end of this tunnel and maybe drafting a quarterback when Rodgers is getting towards the end of his like really one hit separates a shoulder and he's done, right? So it kind of gives you a little backup plan. And like I said, all you have to do is look at the Pats. I think it definitely 
makes sense to have that sort of security blanket, especially when you're in the draft and your quarterback's up there in age. But the way I saw it was that there was really no reason for them to be worried yet other than the potential injury. But let's face it, this is a sport where one player can be perfectly healthy one day and then tear his ACL the next. You never really know what's going to happen. And I think it's safe to say that Rodgers, you know, like Michael Jordan in the Last Dance documentary, he took it personally. He took it personally that they drafted a quarterback thinking that he was at the tail end of his career, despite, you know, even though injury riddled still somehow putting up such great numbers. And maybe this was just a form of motivation for Rogers that the Packers are trying to get when they drafted love. Um, You know, we've seen it time and time before teams draft young quarterbacks while they still have their original starter set. And he's not there to be a long-term project. He's not there to be the guy to take over. He could just be there as motivation for the starter and then trade him, you know, one or two years down the road. But kind of overall, like it's kind of like a, a win-win situation, whereas either it motivates him and now you have your all-star quarterback back your your legendary quarterback, or you have someone to fall back on. And if this organization loves love, pardon the pun there, then there's no reason not to draft them because I mean, everyone can see Rogers. Is he going to go three more years? Probably not. Is he going to go two more years? Maybe. Is this his last year? Like there's, there's possibilities all over the place and it just kind of turned out for them where now they have a guy that can learn under one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. But that's all the time we have. So Blake appreciate it. That was Blake Rubin, our NFL and betting insider here on the Smitty Mitty show. Thanks Blake. Thanks guys. Happy holidays. That was Blake Rubin for another Make or Blake this week, a little NFL talk. I love it. Getting close to the playoffs, Amity. Eh, yeah, we're almost. Uh, we're in fantasy playoffs. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> I am. First year in fantasy, makes the playoffs, shows Mitty how it's done. Yeah, if no. you need tips in the offseason, let me know. Okay. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to thank Mr. Kevin Hilzer, our producer, for another week. Miss Larissa Yerkew for coming on. Uh, being an amazing guest, Blake Rubin, as always, for Maker Blake. Please remember to go and follow us at Smitty Mitty Show on Instagram, Facebook, Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> Mitty TSMS on Twitter. What's yours? Because you always complain that I don't plug it. Uh, it's Noah Smith 016 on Twitter. Oh, very plain. Give us both a follow. That was very plain. You always plug yourself and you never plug me. Yeah, because mine's like with the show. You're Noah Smith 016. We hope everyone has a uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and uh, we'll we'll see you you next week before that. We'll see you next week before then, anyways. So, why am I even saying this? See you next week. Thanks for listening to this mini mini show.